0: Choose Linux, episode 24, for December 12th,
1: 2019.
0: Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Joe. I'm Drew. And I'm El. And here we are for episode 24. I was thinking recently about things that I wish I'd known when I first started my Linux journey. And that got me thinking about how you have a talk about that, El, Confessions of a Sysadmin.
2: This talk has been a hard one to give, but it was very cathartic. Maybe that's the right word to write because it was one where I just decided I was going to get in front of the audience and just own up all the mistakes I've made and at the same time kind of talk about all the things that I wish I would have known when I got started. But And when we started talking about the subject, I noticed that you guys went very command line-like, whereas I just started talking about the community and the people in it and that I wish that I knew what I was getting into before I took the job.
1: You're definitely not wrong that Joe and I both kind of took a look at what we wish we knew as far as more technical things. And I think part of it for me is that when I first started learning Linux back in my teen years there wasn't as much focus on the the GUI side of things. We just didn't have nearly as much that could be done in the graphical interface. And so I spent a lot of time in the terminal and there are certainly things that would have helped me out way back in the day when I was first starting out. But a lot of it really isn't applicable today just because things have gotten a lot easier and a lot better.
2: You know, I'm coming up on the five-year mark, you know, five years since I got my first job as a sysad. And if I were to go back in time and talk to, you know, younger me, baby Linux admin me, I think I wouldn't bother talking about the command line or the GUI or maybe even Linux itself. I would just be like, hey, you know what? It's okay not to know. Like, legitly, I don't know is an okay answer when it comes to Linux. And you know what? There's probably 15 people working on a different way to do it anyways. So just work on trying to find answers. That's really what's going to get you through any Linux experience.
0: Well, exactly. If you know how to look for the answers to your problems, that's more valuable than knowing certain facts. I mean, that you can apply to anything in life, really. Uh, any, anything you're learning, at least.
2: One of the expressions that I keep hearing in the Linux world, and maybe it applies to others, is the whole RTFM, you know, read that friendly manual. And for a while, that really bothered me because it felt like it was somebody that just didn't want to teach. It was somebody that didn't want to put the effort into kind of pressing on their knowledge. But as time has gone on, I'm starting to think, you know what, that became the saying for a reason because there are a lot of people that spend a lot of time writing really good documentation. And if I take the time to read it, maybe I wouldn't have to ask 150 questions.
0: (laughs) My first practical thing I'm going to have to say here is I wish I'd known that Q would quit a manual (laughs) because I was trying Control-C and that took me too long, probably a couple of months to work out because I would just close the terminal and then reopen it again.
2: I think mine would be remember that backslash lets you search so you don't have to sit there for four hours reading every word that was written.
1: (laughs) And N is the way to find the next iteration of that same thing. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny, you know, specifics on how to use man to read manuals is one of the first things on my own list here.
2: So I have a confession to make here that y'all are going to laugh at. When I look up the man pages, I don't do it on the terminal. I actually Google man and then the command. (laughs) And it's funny that that's actually a confession and something that I don't like to tell people because there seems to be this culture around Linux that if you're not using the command line, you're not doing it right. And I just don't, I don't get it. Like, why is there that kind of gatekeeping? If I can find the answer, why does it matter what tool I'm using to do so?
1: And being totally honest, I Google man pages all the time, too. I also use things like explainshell.com to see what command I need to put into the command line before I actually do it. I don't think that it should be that way, where you have to use the specific tool to get the job done anymore. Haven't we moved past that as a Linux community? There are so many easier ways to do things now that the old ways are not necessarily the best, right?
0: Well, I kind of disagree with the sentiment that you don't need to use the command line, because that's something I wish I'd known earlier on, is that I should concentrate on learning how to use the terminal more and not always opting for the GUI for things. Not for the sake of doing things on my own local system, but anything that requires an SSH connection is going to be in the terminal. And so if you know how to find files and use things like grep, that's going to be useful on your own machine, but also for remote machines. So I think that if you can do everything via the command line, then you're in a better position if you're forced to use a different desktop environment or something over SSH.
2: I will say for clarity that I did not say that you shouldn't use the command line. I just said you should use whatever tool is right for the job and what you're most comfortable with. I can tell you that I learned starting out on the command line and I could set and I could awk. And right now, I probably would have to end up Googling the flags for grep if it required anything more than just the command. And eventually you just stop using it and you start forgetting it and you're exactly where a person starting out would be. And that's just either Google the flags or dash dash help. I think that we get too wrapped up in the tool and we lose focus on the end goal.
1: And beyond that, not everybody is a sysadmin or looking to do super complex stuff. Like some people just want to get their Wi-Fi to work. Some people just want to get Bluetooth enabled and connected to their their mouse. And not everybody really needs these command line tools for what they do in the day-to-day. Not to say that that's not you know worth learning if that's something that you're interested in, but not everybody... Has that workload that they need it. Not everybody even has the interest, right?
2: Even when you talk about being a sysad, whenever I was studying for a certain certification test, I remember sitting there and watching the people that were studying with me do the NMCLI tab, tab, dash, tab, tab. And I just went up to the corner, touched the button, filled out the boxes, and I'm on the network. Like they spent so much time just trying to bulldoze their way through the command line that I was done probably minutes before they were.
0: Well, that comes down to using the right tool for the job. As you said, if you're not looking to SSH out of your machine and do any sort of admin stuff, if you're only looking to get other work done, then there's no reason these days really to use the terminal at all, hardly. If you've got a machine that's got good Linux support... You can just install it and leave it like the machine that I have for my mum. She's got a Chromebook that I gave her with Gallium OS, which just works most of the time. Although, actually, I had to uh, sort out something for her recently that required the terminal. So maybe that was a bad example.
1: I don't think it's a bad example, honestly, because. If we want the Linux community to keep growing, we have to think outside of what the Linux community is now. You have to think about things like graphic designers and authors and, you know, standard business people, financiers, people who aren't technically inclined if they're ever going to be using Linux. And I don't want to get into a year of the Linux desktop thing because that's just, to me, it's silly. But. If we want to keep growing, we have to be considering the people who are never going to touch the terminal, and that includes your mom.
0: Well, that's true, yeah. And I remember Will, uh, who used to be the head of Ubuntu Desktop, talking about how if you have to use the terminal on Ubuntu, then he has failed and his team has failed. The point of Ubuntu and distros like that are that you should never need to use the terminal if you don't want to.
2: And that actually brings me to another one of the things that I wish I would have known when I started. And that is no matter what distro I pick and what I'm running, somebody's going to tell me I'm doing it wrong.
0: Yeah. And if you ask a question anywhere on the internet, you're going to get five different answers with five different tools and five different ways of solving the same problem.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's no shortage of different ways to do things. But I do think that the, the gatekeeping that you're talking about here, L, is real. It's, it's something that happens a lot. And while some communities are more inviting than others, there will always be those people who think that they know more than you and are somehow maybe more valid. And it can be a real problem. It can be a turnoff for a lot of people who might otherwise be using Linux.
2: What's weird is when I find myself being that gatekeeper, like, for an extended period of time, I think I hated Arch users. And I know that's going to give me a lot of flame work, but maybe it's just the people that were around me. Every solution was, oh, well, if you used Arch, well, you know, if you learned how to compile it yourself using Arch, like, can we get through a conversation for more than five minutes without saying Arch four times? And it just got to the point where I didn't want to use it simply because of that. And I started judging people because they were using Arch. And it was like it was the snake eating its own tail concept. It's like you become your own worst enemy when you're perpetuating that same gatekeeping concept.
0: You just made me think about Endeavor OS. Have you given that a try? (laughs)
2: I love Endeavor OS. <laughs> wait, wait, so true story. The other day, I'm talking to a group of admins that I used to work with, and the Arch beast raises his head. And I looked over and I was like, oh, I guess I could do Arch, but have you guys tried Void yet? <laughs> <laughs> nice. On the line of things I wish I would have known, and as it relates to Arch, is that it's okay to break your system. Like, it's going to happen if you're trying to learn new things. And if you're trying to push boundaries, things are going to break. And most of the time, it's actually not going to be your fault. Because even though there is documentation, even if you follow it to the T, sometimes it just isn't meant to go with the hardware that you have or the system that you have. I mean, how many distro hops have we had where it works for Joe, but it doesn't work for me, and then it kind of sort of works for Drew or any other way around?
0: Yeah, true. I wish I had known how easy it was to back up your data and how you just basically copy your entire home directory and make sure you've got all your dot directories and dot files. And then you can do whatever you want. And if you break it, you can just quickly reinstall, restore those files, and then you're just back to exactly how you were. That took me way too long to realize, I think.
1: Or even putting your home directory just on a separate partition. And then when you go to reinstall, don't format that partition and set it a slash home and all of your stuff still there without even having to restore. Granted, you know, offsite backups are always a good idea, but yeah, in a pinch.
0: Yeah, that is definitely good advice. Although another thing that I wish I'd known is that if you install a bunch of different desktop environments on the same system, it's just gonna make things so janky and just like so much cross-pollination in your config files.
2: I just had to laugh because that hurt. I've done that. (laughs) And then not known why everything was broken because I did the install the way it said on the wiki.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but you take Ubuntu or Fedora and then if you install the Plasma desktop, Gnome, XFCE, none of them will be
1: really as they should be. They'll all kind of interfere with each other somehow absolute truth there and i think a lot of it is the problem with gtk versus cute and then each one of them trying to set specific settings in your config files and then the other one tries to read it and all of a sudden you've got the breeze theme and gtk and adwaita infecting cute and it uh it is a problem
0: Yeah, so really I wish I'd had another machine that I could dedicate to messing around with. Like I've got now, I've got a couple of test laptops actually and I can just do whatever I want with them and I know that my production system is going to be fine. Whereas early on, I just had one computer and would just reinstall all the time and just lose stuff and just not care, not properly back it up. And so, yeah, I I think that is something that I wish I'd known just... Dedicate a machine to messing around and have your main machine just be your main machine.
2: So just sitting here and listening to that conversation, things I wish I would have known borderline, things I wish I did know, is how to make sense of the desktop environment landscape. There are so many that half the time I'm picking blindly. Do I use Cinnamon? Do I use Mate? Do I use KDE? What is this Plasma thing? I just give up. Give me the first one on the list.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think the only way to make sense of all the desktop environments is just to try them out is just have a go with Cinnamon for a while, have a go with the Plasma desktop, have a go with XFCE, with LXQt, and so on and so on, and just try them out and see which one you like the best. You are pretty familiar with GNOME at this point, and that's all well and good, but maybe if you try the others for long enough, you might find that you have a fondness for them, or you might find that, well, hang on, no, GNOME is the best, so I'm going to keep using that.
1: Well, and that's kind of the crux of distro hopping, isn't it? Throwing things at the wall to see what sticks.
2: So things I wish I would have known. I would never have a distro on a computer for longer than a month.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe you should try and hoard some old laptops like me and just test stuff out on those and not break your production system.
2: But how do you learn if you don't break things, Joe? Just break it and try to figure it out. And that's how you become an expert, right? I don't know. That's what I was told when I got started.
1: <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I have broken so much stuff just to put it back together again. That's really how I got to be where I am is just learning by doing and learning by breaking and fixing, right? Like When I was a young lad, I learned how to solder because I broke the VCR. It's similar concept, right? Yeah, I used
0: to break stuff, but then I could never put it back together again for some reason. Did you try reading the manual?
2: <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs> so that just reminded me, every time I get together with anyone, like just Linux users, it always becomes kind of a, a cathartic, let me tell you about the time that... And maybe that's one of the things I wish I would have known, is it's okay to talk to other people about what went wrong. It's not something to be ashamed of. Like I will forever remember learning what it meant that a SQL server was sharding itself. And just having somebody admit to having made a mistake made it just a little bit easier to go try something new, a little bit easier to do a different distro hop or to tackle a new technology. So that's one of the things that I wish that everybody knew, is just talk about the stuff that went wrong, not just the stuff that went right.
1: Sure. And hands up if you've ever rm'd dash rf starred in the wrong directory. I know, you know, we can't see each other, but my hands up. (laughs) I have never done that, thankfully. Not yet.
2: Famous last word. Stay tuned.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why did I say that? So what about some practical things that you wish you'd known then? I think for me, the biggest one has got to be control R, how if you do control R in the terminal, you can then start typing and you can search through previous commands that you've entered. And that just makes it so much easier if there's complex commands rather than having to remember what it was. I use that every single day and I didn't learn that
1: for at least a few years. You know, I haven't used control R in quite a while because I moved to fish and I can just start typing the command out as I know it to be. It'll show me a preview of it and then I can press up to scroll back through different iterations of that same string, which is just fantastic. But yeah, history search is a big one.
2: I don't know if it's practical, but one of the things that I wish I would have known a long time ago was about Vim Adventures, because it was a fun way to develop muscle memory on how to effectively use Vim. But
0: why would you need to use Vim when you can just use Nano?
2: And here we go down the rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) Emacs, Emacs.
0: A big one for me was tab completion. That I didn't know about for at least a few years as well. And... I just cannot conceive of using a terminal without tab completion. I talked about it with void. It wasn't enabled by default, and it was so frustrating.
1: Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree on that. And one other thing that I wish I had gotten to terms with a long, long time ago is regex. Regex is such a useful thing inside and outside of the terminal that Uh, Anybody who wants to do any complex manipulation of text really should try to wrap their head around regex at some point in their life.
0: You're talking about regular expressions here.
1: Yes, regular expressions. Basically a way to format strings where you can introduce special characters that will instruct a program on how to modify that text. So you put like a slash or... An apostrophe and these things mean different things, and there are tons of regex helper websites out there if you want to get started with that and just need a little bit of help understanding where to begin with it.
0: That's reminded me that I wish I'd learned markdown well, I would say earlier, but at any time because it's so common and it's not something that I've ever really bothered to get my head around.
2: On that note, I wish I wouldn't have fought learning how to code so much because I just didn't think I needed it, and dear God, was I wrong.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish that I had learned Python. It's not too late, obviously, but I wish I'd kind of learned more Bash and Python and just, I'm not talking about complex programming, but just to solve certain problems, it would have been Much easier for me now to do a lot of stuff that takes me ages. I could have done it so much more quickly if I'd learned basic programming.
1: Absolutely, I can write a pretty mean Bash script, but anything beyond that, and I'm pretty useless. And I do wish that I was better at it.
2: I think you're right, Joe, when you say it's not too late to learn because you know I've been doing my uh, hundred days of code. And I've been doing HTML as a part of it just to learn something new where I I know that somebody's going to tell me I'm doing the wrong language, so I might as well just pick something out of the blue. But as a part of that, I've also been using the time to study for my next certification. And I think that's one of the things I wish I would have known at the very beginning is that the certifications could only get you so far. Like when I got my RHCE, I was, that was it. Like I just thought I was the bomb. I could get any Linux job that I wanted. But all I had really learned was how to be a Linux admin on a Red Hat server. And there was so much more to the world when it comes to programming and automation and security. I think that we put too much emphasis. In getting jobs with certifications and not about having the experience and having had your hands dirty and a story to tell about what you learned.
0: Because you don't have that many certifications, Drew, do you? But you've got a ton
1: of experience. That's true. I have actually no Linux certifications, but I am certified on Apple and I'm certified in networking because those were things that I needed for my previous job. But I feel like I could probably do quite a lot with a Linux sysadmin job, despite not having a piece of paper that says that I could do it.
2: I think one thing people need to know is that it's going to be really easy to tell who certification dumped, you know, who just memorized the answers. I recently went for my AWS certification, and I was talking to somebody about it, and we started talking about the AWS snowmobile. At about, I don't know, 30 seconds in, I realized this person has just memorized a definition because they are not aware that an AWS snowmobile is actually a semi-truck with a huge trailer hosting a data center that basically drives up to your property. If all you've done is memorize a bunch of terms and you miss something that huge, there's going to be a really embarrassing job interview in your future.
0: I wish I'd known earlier how easy it is to set up a network storage device and how you can do that on really low spec hardware if you don't have huge demands for it, if it's only gonna be one or two people using it. And I didn't get around to that until very recently. And I used to just stuff loads of hard drives in desktop machines or use USB drives and all of my data was just scattered all over in different places. And I just wish that I had bothered to learn about Samba earlier is the bottom line.
1: I'm going to expand on that, Joe, because we were talking about backups earlier and keeping home directories. And one thing that you can do is you can use that Samba server as a way to sync your config files from one computer to another. Like I do it with NextCloud rather than Samba, but... I will have all of my configs that I want to, uh, you know, propagate to all of my machines in that next cloud, and then I can just sync those directories and possibly use some sim links here and there to get similar settings between all of my machines. Which also helps if I feel like switching to a new distro because I can just resync stuff.
2: Can I add a I what I wish my customers would have known in here? <laughs> When it comes to backups, I wish that most customers would know to have multiple backups because the amount of times that we had somebody whose files were encrypted through some kind of ransomware and then they went to backups and their backups were corrupted or their backups didn't happen properly and we just had to look at them and say, I'm sorry, was way too high.
1: Not just having multiple backups, but... Also, keeping them in multiple places is a good idea, as well as making sure that you have iterative backups where you have a timeline of what it looked like last year versus what it looked like yesterday. So if you do have some kind of ransomware, you can go back to the last known good file set and pull your data in that way. That's hugely important.
2: That's what I'm guilty of when I first started was I had like a one terabyte external hard drive that I did all my backups to. And if something had happened, if someone had broken into the house or if there had been a fire, I would have lost everything regardless, even with backups. But, you know, with all these I wish I would have known... At least we we tend to grow because right now, if let's say this laptop just died on me and I went to Best Buy, I guess, and bought a new laptop, I could probably be up and running in five minutes. Like whatever it took to kick the system, because I have local backups, I've got my backups in the cloud. So maybe a lot of it isn't about what I wish I would have known, but just the lessons that I've learned, if that makes sense.
0: It does make a lot of sense. I also could be back up and running I don't know about five minutes, but certainly pretty quickly if I just had to go and buy another machine. And yeah, the only real way to learn is through mistakes, I think. Because if everything goes right, then it doesn't stick in your memory somehow. Whereas once you've deleted a partition accidentally and then had to go through the hassle of restoring your backups or worse, not having a backup, you'll only really do that once. And So uh, there's a lot of stuff that I wish I had known, but I think you kind of have to go through that to get to where you are now. And I'm sure that in another 10 years time, there'll be stuff that that I wish I'd known now.
2: Yeah, We've talked a lot about the things that we've learned and how hard it's been to learn them, but it wasn't all bad. Like there was some fun things along the way. And I just, I'd like to hear some of the ways that you guys made it through learning the command line.
0: I think one of my favorites has gotta be the SL train thing. So if you install it and then accidentally type SL instead of LS, you get the train that comes along in your terminal, it's very impressive.
1: I'm gonna take an example from pretty recently. I wanted to play a prank on Chris after I got uh, remote access to the studio. And I started looking for a way to print out all work and no play makes Chris a dull boy on the screen over and over again. And I ended up writing a short little script that uses the command yes and pipes it into the command lolcat. So what yes does is it just prints yyyyyy so that you can use it in a script to skip prompts. But you can feed it any string you want and it will just repeat it over and over and over again. So that's how I constructed the... All work and no play makes Chris a doll boy section of it. And piping it into lolcat makes it go into just rainbow colors through the whole terminal. So when he walked into the studio that Monday morning, he just had his full screen terminal printing that line over and over and over again. And it had been going all weekend.
2: <laughs> nice. On a similar note, one of the ones that I use just to kind of de-stress, um, there is a command by the name of fortune that will give you just a random fortune. However, if you tie that in with cow say, which gives you a little picture of a cow, an ASCII cow with a speech bubble, it's the little cow giving you your next fortune. So it's fortune, pipe that to cow say. It's just, it's silly, but it's a way just to kind of laugh at what you were doing and move on.
1: And there's some homework for this, too, if you go to try this out. Make sure to look at the man page to find the flag to enable naughty fortunes.
0: (laughs) Well, one last thing that I wish I'd known way earlier was that you can clear the terminal. I don't know why, but I just never knew that. If you've got so much text there that it just gets confusing, you can just type clear and that took me way too long. And then it took me even longer to learn that you can just do Control-L and that clears it for you.
1: What? I just learned something new. I didn't know about Control-L. I've been typing clear all these years like a noob. <laughs> Don't tell me you've been typing exit as well instead of Control-D. No, I knew about Control-D. Come on.
2: You just click the X. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right,
0: well, we'd better get out of here then. Don't forget, you can find all the ways to get future episodes by going to chooselinux.show slash subscribe and chooselinux.show slash contact if you
1: want to get in touch with us. And you can find us on Twitter as well. I'm at Drew of Doom.
2: And I'm at L underscore O underscore punk at LOPunk.
1: And I'm at Charles
0: Wessington. We'll be back in two weeks.